Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thousands of City of Hamilton workers are one step closer to going on strike. The Salvation Army says its emergency shelter in downtown Hamilton is not moving. How does smoke from wildfires impact those who are pregnant? We're looking for a new special rapporteur, more legal trouble for Donald Trump, and Miss Canada is from Brantford. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. The 4,000 employees working at the city of Hamilton who have voted 95% in favor of a strike mandate should negotiations with the city end without a new collective bargaining agreement. Jay Hunter is the president of CUPE Local 5167, also the lead hand in the city's parks department, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jay, good morning. How are you? Great. How are you? Not too bad. 95.3% to be exact in, in favor of a strike mandate. Was that kind of number expected? Uh, we were hoping for that. We always want a high strike mandate when we're at the bargaining table, and uh, that was achieved. We were very happy. We had record numbers uh, in the turnout, um, so we were very, very pleased that our members have given us the support at the table. What does that suggest? Uh, uh, that is the mood of your members. Absolutely. They uh, have been looking for a wage increase this round. We've done surveys and uh, meetings to, to find out what their priorities were. And we've found that, uh, you know, the cost of living and inflation going through the roof, people are having trouble making their bills. So, uh, you know, the wage increase is priority one. What kind of wage increase are you looking for? Well, we don't uh, bargain through the media, so I can't release the numbers, but they will be coming out eventually at some point. But most unions uh, that have been at the bargaining table lately are looking for the rate of inflation, especially in the first year. Uh, it's kind of a catch-up. In the last few years, we've taken subpar collective uh, increases. So, you know, do our part for the community. Apart from wages, are there other issues on the table you'd like to uh, have the city identify? We've sorted out a lot of our non-monetary issues. There's always uh, ways to try and enhance the collective agreement to make it easier for the employer to, to perform the, the work, but the union also to have uh, a good rights uh, in the collective agreement. Last part about the wages. Are you far apart on this number? Yes, very can, far apart. Can you give us a percentage on how far apart you are? Well, again, we can't give the numbers, but we uh, we generally hope to see something in the neighborhood of the rate of inflation, as I mentioned, and uh, the employers only tabled a, a small percentage, which is uh, a bit of a slap in the face for our members. We just brought the community through COVID and people are overworked. There's many positions in the community that are vacant. If you look at the city website, there's 85 postings a week with multi-incumbents. We also hear that the uh, city has given an increase of 8 to 10% to match market value for management non-union. So it was a bit of a un, unsavory, I guess you could call it, uh, offer on the table. Jay Hunter is the president of CUPE Local 5167, as about 4,000 employees working at the city of Hamilton have voted 95% in favor of a strike mandate. How long have you currently been without a contract? Uh, this contract ended December 31st of 2022, so we bargained right, around, right since February, but we had our proposals ready uh, when we gave notice to bargain as per the language of 90 days prior to its expiration. Uh, one thing we do do if we do go on strike is we contact the uh, employer and look at what positions are you know, uh, very important for public safety, 
we want to be sure those people are still in place and wouldn't be on strike water testing, public health, logistic techs for ambulances uh, to stock and maintain them. Uh, are you still at the bargaining table? We are. Yes, we've got dates set uh, 20th and 21st. We've filed for conciliation on May 18th, and the conciliator has given us the 20th and 21st of July. Uh, let's talk about the different areas of the city that your members are working in. I know there are seven different units. So what city services would potentially be impacted if you did go on strike? Yeah, the seven units are things, uh, other units like Darts Airport, RBG, Good Shepherd, uh, St. Matthew's House, Wentworth and McCastle Lodges. So none of those units will be affected by this uh, bargaining. So what happens now? What are, what are some of the next steps? Uh, well, on the 20, we're hoping for a cancellation. If the mediator, uh, conciliator would uh, have a vacancy, we'd be looking at getting back to the table and the, both the employer and the union are ready to sit down as soon as a, a vacancy uh, comes up. Otherwise, it'll be the 20th. And at that point, we may file a no board report that uh, comes back within five days. And within, within 17 days of receiving the port, the report, the employer can lock us out or we can call a strike. Are you confident a deal will get done and a strike will be averted? Absolutely. We're, we're hoping that uh, the city can take a look at what we need to uh, compensate our members. And I would imagine that you're thinking a 95.3% strike mandate sends a strong message to the city that you and the membership are serious about this. It, it does. That's for sure. Jay, appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck with this. We'll certainly follow up with you uh, in a few weeks. Absolutely. Thank you. Jay Hunter is the president of CUPE Local 5167, also the lead hand in the city parks department. And you can imagine when you're talking about 4,000 employees, the largest union in the city of Hamilton or at the city of Hamilton, uh, if those members are on strike, that would create a, a massive ripple effect at the places where they are. And, and Jay kind of mentioned that because, listen, if they're, if they're far apart on this number, and, you know, the the union is looking at, you know, what non-unionized management just got, as he referenced, an 8 to 10% wage hike. QP 5167 looking for the uh, similar wage hike when it uh, comes to inflation. Inflation is at, what, 4.4%? Can the city get to that number? We shall see. We'll definitely be following this story uh, on the ups and downs as it uh, travels through over the next uh, week or so. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The city of Hamilton has an agreement with the Hamilton Urban Precinct Group, we know that, to revitalize, to overhaul the downtown core with uh, renovation projects to First Ontario Centre, First Ontario Concert Hall, uh, the Hamilton Convention Centre. Part of the proposal, we have learned, is to potentially move the Salvation Army's emergency Shelter. Glenn Van Gullick is the Divisional Secretary for Public Relations with the Salvation Army Ontario Division and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Glenn, good morning. Welcome back to the show. Good morning, Rick. What a what a wonderful rainy day. I think we need it, don't we? Yeah, yeah. The rain is very much needed in our part of the planet for sure. When did you find out about this about this news? Well, we found out actually shortly before everyone else found out. We were as surprised as uh, as anyone. Uh, seeing that the Salvation Army's Hamilton Booth Centre was referenced in that recently released public document uh, between the city of Hamilton and, and QPEG. Um, you know, QPEG has reached out to us in the past over the last couple of years and and said, hey, here's here's some of the plans we have for downtown. want to make sure that you're aware of those. And 
uh, if you need any information or have any thoughts, uh, we're here to to connect with. But outside of that, um, you know, it, it was a surprise when we when we found ourselves listed in there in there as uh, as with some intent to move the the Salvation Army's booth center. So this was never a part of those previous discussions. No, it wasn't part of those previous discussions. I mean, again, QPEG came and shared with us what their plans were for the downtown uh, core. Of course, I think that was very respectful of QPEG in that process. Um, you know, as you say, we've all been following the the evolution of that downtown core and the entertainment district that's been, uh, you know, visioned and and cast a vision around that. And so it was it was very helpful for them to reach out to us and explain what some of that vision was and and to create the space and that door open if we had any questions or, or, or ideas around that. But again, that's that's only where it landed. That's that's the extent to which those conversations uh, had gone. So for the record, you have no plans to move. No, the Salvation Army has no immediate plans to be moving the Hamilton Booth Center. You know, I think over the last few years, what we've all been experiencing is the, the challenges that uh, are part of everyday life. Those have been increasing over time. And certainly the last year, we've seen the cost of living going up, cost of groceries going up. Uh, people struggling to keep their homes, having to renew mortgages, and uh, and realizing that that's going to really, really stretch themselves. And more and more people, families, individuals, seniors, reaching out to the Salvation Army, both our, our Hamilton Booth Center Emergency Shelter, uh, but also our Community and Family Services, which is which is adjacent to or, or just behind the Booth Center, is seeing thousands of people every month who are struggling. And so, you know, that really is our focus right now. That's that's been our commitment all along to Hamiltonians. And the city of Hamilton as a partner within that network to make sure that that the Salvation Army is there always with doors open to support people. So that's our focus right now. Glenn Van Gullick is with the Salvation Army Ontario Division as we discuss this uh, plan to overhaul the downtown core and negotiations between or at least the the uh, plan unveiling by the Hamilton Urban Precinct Group with the city of Hamilton to potentially move the Salvation Army's emergency shelter. But as you just heard from our guest, Glenn said that they have no plans to do so. Have you thought of what a move might look like if you're pressed to do so? Well, you know, of course, when you hear news like that, your mind sort of starts moving in those directions, the what ifs. Uh, but again, our focus, our team's focus, our frontline uh, staff, their focus is on the people of Hamil- Hamilton who are struggling right now. That's where our, our energy is. With that said, the Salvation Army sees itself as an innovative partner in the community. Um, you know, we work with the city of Hamilton and other partner organizations, and it's together that we create those supports that are so necessary for individuals and families that are that are stretched, as I was saying earlier. Uh, and so, you know, it, it, it is something that the Salvation Army is aware of now, uh, and it's something that we'll continue to uh, create a, a dialogue around, make sure that the city and, and the Salvation Army and our partners uh, are at the table to have conversations about about what the future might look like. Always with a mindset, though, to mission, which is serving uh, those struggling individuals and families right now today. Obviously, this would be a decision that is left up to the city of Hamilton because um, without their okay, you're not going anywhere. Well, of course, everything is done in partnership. I mean, the Salvation Army does not stand alone. And, and thank goodness, because we need partners. We need relationships with City of Hamilton. We need relationships with HUPEG, who are doing a great job downtown, uh, revitalizing the downtown. And of course, all of our agency partners that are uh, in that downtown core and beyond throughout the City of Hamilton. We work together. We're a system that works to support the broader Hamilton um, residents, the community of Hamilton. And so it is something that we need to work together on. Um, and, you know, at some point, we hope that those conversations will continue months and weeks ahead 
uh, to, to make sure that whatever decisions are made, the Salvation Army is present and at the table, and we continue to look towards how best to serve those that are struggling in Hamilton. In our remaining 30 seconds, have you spoken yeah. to either the city or HUPEG since this news was revealed? Not at this point, but we do have an extension out to the city. We're looking forward to connecting with them in the weeks ahead uh, to understand better what those uh, what those uh, words mean within that master agreement and specifically how the Salvation Army can understand better what the project looks like in terms of its timeline. So, uh, again, our doors are open, uh, but we want to make sure that our focus and our team's focus right now is on the people of Hamilton and supporting them in this time. We'll continue to follow this. Thank you, Glenn. A pleasure, Rick. Have a great day. You too. Glenn Van Gullick is with the Salvation Army Ontario Division. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. A lot of smoke in the air, a lot of smoky air last week due to wildfires in northern Ontario and in Quebec. And that led to Hamilton's Air Quality Health Index bulging to... Uh, figures like eight, nine, ten, high risk, extreme risk when it comes to health quality. Today, we're currently at four, which is a moderate risk. It's going to drop to three tonight, which is you know, normally the number on on a day like this when we're not breathing in smoke from wildfires. But as we know, I mean, that smoke last week greatly impacted our air quality and created especially difficult conditions for people with respiratory and and cardiovascular disease, as well as those who are pregnant. And that's what we're going to talk about today, because there's a a great little quote on the Air Quality Ontario uh, website that says, the quality of the air you breathe today can affect your health now and for many years to come. So let's bring in Dr. Deborah Sloboda, professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biomedical Sciences at McMaster University. Dr. Sloboda, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I am trying to stay dry, but happy <laughs> that we're not covered in smoke. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take the wetness over the smoky air <laughs> any day of the week. Last week, though, must have been a challenge for those who are pregnant. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last week was was hard on all of us, but definitely uh, a little bit harder on those that are that are carrying a developing baby. Uh, lots of risks there uh, for pregnant individuals. So, how damaging is that poor air quality on this particular part of the population? Uh, it's. Uh, it's pretty damaging only in that they're particularly vulnerable. Uh, pregnant individuals, uh, they've got lots of physiological changes that happen due to pregnancy. So there's an increase in respiratory rate or or the number of breaths that they take per minute. There's an increase in, in blood volume, so cardiovascular changes. And, and with those changes, you can imagine if they're breathing uh, faster, <laughs> taking more breaths with every minute, uh, breathing in wildfire smoke. Is, is not a good thing and that places them at, at greater vulnerability. Would they be in the same category as those with respiratory or cardiovascular disease in terms of the quality of the air they need to breathe? Uh, that's a good question. I hadn't thought of comparing them directly to other to other vulnerable uh, risk uh, groups, but certainly, um, I mean, certainly it places them at an in- increased risk for sure. Uh, both for the for the pregnant individual, so the the mother breathing the air, because of course uh, you don't want a, a pregnant person to have uh, exacerbated respiratory issues. Uh, it might reduce the amount of oxygen, right, getting uh, getting to the baby, or uh, or for 
for uh, placental. The, it's really about the placenta, actually, um, and the placental function and placental development uh, that might be impaired. And then, and then much further downstream, it might be about the baby's growth. Is it the same impact? I know, not, you know, when we're breathing in poor air for a short amount of time, but is it the same impact as what cigarette smoke or even vaping would have on the placenta? Uh, it has uh, yes, similar. <laughs> we actually, um, sadly, we actually don't know a lot about the impact of wildfire smoke uh, on pregnant individuals and the development of the placenta. I, I did a little bit of uh, scanning of the recent review literature last week <clears throat> because of the smoke and I could find, you know, maybe a dozen uh, papers that have published looking specifically uh, at the placenta, mostly in California and uh, Colorado, where places, you know, places that have wildfires all the time uh, have done some studies. But we actually don't know a lot. What we do know is that there are uh, molecules that are produced very similar to the same molecules that are produced if you're smoking uh, called uh, anti um rather oxidative stress molecules that can damage damage the tiny blood vessels um, that uh, that the placenta needs to trans- transport oxygen to the fetus. So we do know that. Um, but as I said, uh, you know, really the, the major impact is likely to have uh, on the mom uh, and breathing. And then, of course, there's a lot of downstream uh, effects. If, if, if the pregnant individual can't breathe enough oxygen, then the oxygen can't get to the fetus. Dr. Deborah Sloboda is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900. 900- C.H. Mallow, professor in the Department of Biochemistry and Biomedical Sciences at McMaster University. And we're talking about a wildfire smoke and its impact on those who are pregnant. Um, my guess is, you know, we, we suffered air quality for, what, three, four days kind of last week. Uh, anyone who is pregnant breathing in that air, they shouldn't be too worried about the impacts? No, no, there, it's not. Uh, certainly, <laughs> one of the things um, that results from a lot of these kind of natural disasters is also stress and anxiety. So that is definitely not what we want. Uh, we want our pregnant uh, individuals in Hamilton to be worrying about right now. Uh, that's it's really short term exposure. It's likely uh, that'll have uh, no effect, you know, uh, over the course of a day. Um, on the placenta and the and the baby, it's 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 fine. Uh, it's really about uh, long term exposure. And since we already know uh, that uh, it's likely to continue, <laughs> you know, uh, it's likely to continue with many years because of climate change, because of the change in, in, in the way in which our weather uh, is responding to what's happening in the world around us. We can prepare. So uh, when you know that the weather quality is bad and you have to be outside, you can don one of those COVID-19 and 95 well-fitting masks that we all know and love. <laughs> uh, we, uh, You can put one of those on and protect yourself uh, and your baby uh, and you should be fine. So so just think about all the precaution uh, and the measures that you can do to, to protect yourself, as everybody should, quite frankly. We should all be wearing masks when we go outside when the weather is uh, like it it was last Wednesday in particular. It was pretty bad. Dr. Sloboda, thank you for your time today. And uh, we'll talk to you down the road. Okay. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We asked Mr. Johnson to evaluate all of these circumstances, which he did in a thoughtful way. They decided to attack him on a partisan basis. We think that was disgraceful. 
Um, we're not going to get somebody credible to come forward, uh, we think, unless there's a consensus on the kind of person and the terms of reference. That is Intergovernmental Affairs Minister Dominic LeBlanc joining Global's Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block this weekend. You heard it here on 900 CHML as well. So now what? Now what happens? Kim Wright is the founder and principal of Wright Strategies and joins us on GMH. Kim, good morning. Good morning. David Johnston must regret taking on this role. Look, David Johnston uh, said it, I think, best. You know, when you're asked to serve the country, you you do serve to stand and serve the country. And so you can't take that away from him. Uh, But... I don't think he came into this with uh, uh, with eyes wide open as to what this was. And frankly, I put part of that squarely at the feet of the prime minister uh, and his team for not, frankly, understanding the zeitgeist of of Canada right now. I mean, the reality is they could have just looked at certain things like who was working on the project? Have they donated to the Liberal Party? Like, not knowing, not realizing that the opposition parties would attack uh, David Johnston for his work with the Trudeau Foundation. These should have been very easy to understand and anticipate uh, situations. And they could have found someone somewhere in the country who was an eminent Canadian that didn't have those kinds of ties. This was an unforced error. And a really tone deaf one on the part of the liberals. I mean, they, they should have seen this coming a mile away. Absolutely, they should have. And and this is part of the problem. It, you know, I, I don't like to use the word arrogance uh, very often. And, but in this case, there was an arrogance uh, that, well, well, he he was appointed by Stephen Harper. So that will be our get out of jail free card, so to speak on this. That is not the case here. And this was a, a very predictable outcome. And it's unfortunate. What we actually saw also was uh, Bob Ray, the former premier, former MPP, eminent Canadian and ambassador uh, after the Johnston report came out, said in a tweet that you can understand that David Johnston is a man of integrity and understand that this report has flaws to it. And that really was, if you listen to a lot of the commentary from Jigmeet Singh and Julian uh, 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 MP Peter Julian uh, over when the report came out, the report itself was incredibly flawed and um, at a contradictory to itself. So that really became more problematic than even the ties to the Liberal Party. So what happens now? Well, ideally, they actually go back, do the work, find another uh, eminent Canadian who isn't so hamstrung on this. But really, they really do need to get to a public inquiry, which is where for months now, the public politicians came to the same conclusion. We need to get to a public inquiry, one that is free as much as you can ever be, free from the politics of the day and really get to the answers of this. Because as we've talked about on this program, Rick, you know, the report from David Johnston said, oh my gosh, guys, if you had just seen the information we had seen, you would say it was all tickety-boo. Well, except for nobody's seen that. Nobody understands that process. They didn't uh, interview MP Han Dong, who is also a part of the center of this controversy. They didn't uh, interview um, former conservative leader Aaron O'Toole until after the report had already gone to the printers. So there are lots of questions that come out of this, and not the least of which, which should be troubling to Canadians, is the lack of, of processes between the security 
divisions of the country and the ministers responsible. You know, we saw in that report, well, you know, the minister of public safety couldn't access his emails in the security portal. Well, did he not read his briefing notes? Did he not ask, you know, admit that maybe he was having a tech glitch? We're talking about the security of our elections in our country, and this has added added more fuel to this fire. Kim Wright is the founder and principal of Wright Strategies, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, and we're discussing the resignation of David Johnston as special rapporteur investigating foreign interference, uh, resigning on Friday, and the the next steps. Uh, the Liberals say public inquiry is not off the table. I'm not sure how serious they are when they do say that, but I also can't imagine who's going to want to take on the next special rapporteur or public inquiry official, whatever you want to call them. I mean, who's that going to be? Well, there are lots of people. There are former judges, there are former justices, there are other eminent Canadians who could do this role. But if the prime minister and his team are coming at this from, well, if we just rag the puck long enough and give it somebody that the opposition can you know, cry foul on, well, then we can get away with uh, not actually getting to the meat and heart of was our elections interfered with in any sort of way? And how are we keeping parliamentarians and Canadians safe in this country? If you're not coming at it from a place of honesty of how to get to those answers, then this thing is always going to be doomed to fail. Now, I think that there are lots of things. We've seen the Air India inquiry, the Meher Arari inquiry. There are inquiries that can deal with highly sensitive, highly classified information, and you can get to the bottom of it if the government wants to. And I think that there are still enough liberals uh, in power or adjacent to power that think this will be like the Gomery inquiry in Quebec that talked about fundraising and scandals that really did uh, do substantial damage to the Liberal Party. That is different. That is fundraising. We're talking here about national security and security of elections that should have a higher standard. Last one for you. We've got about a minute. We recently spoke with uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who said he plans to see the information that David Johnston has seen. Do you think that's going to work in his favor? I mean, he's not going to be able to talk about it, but he'll have the knowledge of it. Well, it's interesting because you saw Aaron O'Toole, who is actually, I believe, giving his final speech in the House uh, today. Uh, he he found a way to ask those questions in the House, asking, you know, as as a parliamentarian, can I ask these questions in the House? And anyways, there are all sorts of uh, ways to work around that. But I think knowledge is always power. And the more ways in which we can get the information, then we can make more informed decisions. But Jagmeet Singh and the NDP have been very consistent from the beginning, not only to look at the potential foreign interference from China, but also Russia and other foreign actors and how that played into all of this. And I think the more we can get to the bottom of the totality of where foreign interference is in place, what are the protocols we need to to move forward and how that moves forward to uh, to secure elections in this country? I think the better off we all will be. It's almost like another episode of The Young and the Restless or Days <laughs> of Our Lives without uh, without the actors. I mean, this is real life. It, it is absolutely real actors. I mean, there are many jokes about Hollywood and politics. And I'll leave those for another another conversation. <laughs> uh, but this is not uh, this is not a movie. This is actually real life. And these yeah. are things that are happening uh, to Canadians and how they come forward, how people can come forward and participate in either a public inquiry or some other version of this. Uh, well maintaining their their own personal security that is actually at the heart of how uh, how we can go forward and fix this matter and i think the prime minister would be well served 
by not dragging his feet on this and, and not playing politics on this and actually getting on with it. What we've seen, you know, as as MPs are now about to go off to the summer barbecue circuit back into their communities, they voted they voted overwhelming. Parliamentarians voted overwhelmingly against David Johnston continuing on in this role. And David Johnston decided to thumb his nose at Parliament. Uh, and that became much more untenable than any of the potential ties. This was people didn't believe that continuing on with this special rapporteur in this way, in this function was going to serve anyone. And that that really does become problematic going forward. So I hope the prime minister uh, and his team stop uh, stop ragging the puck on this and actually get to a public inquiry because it's actually quite needed. Agreed. Kim, thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you for having me. Kim Wright, founder and principal of Wright Strategies. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Former U.S. President Donald Trump is going to be arraigned in federal court tomorrow on 37 charges related to national security, all for allegedly removing classified documents from the White House and then storing them at his Mar-a-Lago resort. Uh, Documents, according to the FBI, found in Trump's bedroom, in a bathroom, a shower, in a storage room. And we're talking about top secret documents like U.S. nuclear programs, uh, retaliation strategies of the U.S. and its allies, including Canada, military vulnerability. So really top secret stuff. What is the fallout? What happens next? Dr. Melissa Hausman is a professor of political science at Carleton University and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Hausman, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm fine, thanks. How are you? I'm good. This indictment was unsealed Friday, and it details the charges against Mr. Trump related to improperly storing all these classified documents, showing them off to some people in some cases. How serious are these charges? Well, they are very serious. Um, They relate to very strong federal statutes. So we've got the Espionage Act involved. We've got statutes that were passed after Watergate in terms of the safeguarding of presidential documents. And again, it's not just about what was in the indictment Friday, but the larger picture, which is that there are state level prosecutions in New York, both civil and criminal against him and his family and his company. And then there's a separate federal indictment about January 6th. And then there's a potential case coming about his interference in the results of the election with regard to Georgia and the Secretary of State there. So, yeah, I would say he's in a pile of trouble. Yeah, I thought you were going to say another word, but yeah, yeah, I, I get your I get your drift there. Uh, there is a potential for imprisonment as well, because, you know, the these alleged crimes carry a maximum of 20 years in prison. And we've Each. never. Yeah. And we've never seen this before from a, a current or former president. No, we've never seen any of this before. We've never had a president impeached twice. We've never had a former president criminally charged. We've never had a former president appearing before a judge he appointed. There's a lot of firsts here. And yes, I mean, the charges themselves, there, there are tons of them. They are serious. But again, we we just don't know at this point how it's all going to play out. Um, he still wants to be in the public light. He still wants to be a candidate right now. There's nothing preventing that. And of course, a lot of these cases will probably get heard after the election of 2024. We don't know, but 
So there are a lot of unknowns at this point. But yes, there, there are very serious charges against him. It's safe to say. What do you think is the impact on his 2024 presidential run? Again, it's we're so far out, it's early to say. I think he's going to bluster his way through as long as he possibly can. Uh, it's possible that some of the New York cases could be heard just before the election. But again, we're looking at the primary season, which will be from um, the winter and into the spring of 2024. So we should have a, a better idea about a year from now how strong the field is and the different uh, candidates and how they're doing. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard to say right now, but we are going to have to wait it out for probably another 10 to 12 months or so. Do you think this emboldens Trump's base or will some start to realize that, you know, let's let's jump ship while we can? I think there's some in each camp. I think some probably feel that, yeah, things have gone a little bit too far, but the diehard followers, they're not going to go anywhere. And again, you know, they're just going to sit and think, well, yeah, he's being unfairly treated as usual. He's done nothing wrong. Now, how anybody can rationally think that is beyond me, but <laughs> there are people that do think that way. So, yes, as you say, some will jump ship. And go to other candidates, probably like Rick DeSantis. Others will uh, stick with them as long as they can. It is uh, fascinating in a in a mind-boggling way, that is for sure. Dr. Hausman, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Dr. Melissa Hausman is a professor of political science at Carleton University. And wow, I mean, wow, that's all, that's all I could say. This is another wow story. Involving Donald Trump. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Oh, there's a lot of hooting and hollering, a lot of celebrating going on after a woman from Branford was crowned Miss Canada 2023. Her name is Ashley Borzolino, and she's also a development inspector and operator with the city of Branford. And uh, Ashley Borsolino joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Ashley, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Thank you for having me on the show. Congratulations as well. How does it feel to be Miss Canada 2023? I finally had some time to absorb it. In the beginning, I was in quite disbelief, but uh, I'm really proud of myself and I'm just so honored to have this title. I watched the video of you breaking down on stage after finding out you were the winner. This means a lot to you. It does. It does. I was quite emotional. Uh, it's been a long journey, but it was worth it in the end. And I'm just, I'm really proud of myself and I'm proud of how far I've come, not just with the Miss Canada organization, but with my career as well. So I got to ask, where is the crown? It is at home, safe and sound, <laughs> but it is, it is going to be worn out and about when appropriate and when necessary, of course. I, so I wish I could sleep with it. I wish I could sleep with it. Is it heavy? Like, uh, what, what is it? What does it feel like? Uh, it is quite heavy. It is quite heavy. We have a couple of clips to keep it in place when I move around. Um, but uh, overall, you know, you're just so proud that you don't even feel the weight of it when you're wearing it. <laughs> Apart from winning the title of Miss Canada 23 and, and getting the crown, do you win anything else? Is there money? Is there something else that goes along, goes along with it? Yeah, it's just, it depends on uh, each year. It's just based on the sponsorship. So 
uh, whatever they get sponsored with, they treat the girls with that. Just kind of fun stuff that, you know, girls love. <laughs> <laughs> now, there is an underlying story to this as well, because not only are you Miss Canada 2023, but as a certified technician, a, a construction inspector, your involvement and your promotion of STEM uh, is quite big. And this is what you want to take to the community, especially with young women and young girls. Yeah, that was the main purpose why I started pageantry. It wasn't for the crown and the sash and any of the other little perks in between. Because realistically, you could just go out and buy it if you really want it that badly. It's more for the responsibility that comes with it and what you stand for. And I just want to be an example to women out there and to show that, you know, we can do things that are out of the norm and we can still be feminine at the same time. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to have a masculine energy to take on a role like this. So I just want to be an example of that. Within the science, technology, engineering, mathematics sphere, in the, in the STEM sphere, what drew you to that? Well, my guidance counselor was actually the one that had recommended this path to me just based on my grades. And I'm very open-minded. I'm an open-minded person. So I just kind of went for it. I ended up excelling in it. I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed a lot of the transferable skills that I was building with it, not just the technical ones. So I decided to continue this path. And I'm so glad that I did. Uh, it really helped me find myself. It really helped me grow as a person. And I can't see myself doing any other position at this point in my life. It uh, you know, would have been interesting, at least a good photo op, you wearing the crown on the job site. But you got to stay safe, right? Yeah, of course, you have to stay safe. Maybe we can arrange a photo shoot <laughs> at some point with, with all of that in the background. But of course, it'll be when the site is not active. That'll be cool. What, what's your first official duty as Miss Canada? Has that already been predetermined? Um, so they're very free with what you're able to do. And um, personally, uh, I'm going to a Women in Construction event, and that's going to be my first stepping stone to my journey. I really just want to express my reasoning for joining pageantry, and I just want to encourage the women that are already in the system to be continuing their journeys and to also lead by example like myself. So that's my first duty, if you want to call it that. Uh, and then after that, I do want to visit some high schools and talk to the youth and just show them that this stuff is normal and it does happen. Uh, so that's, that's really my main goal. And who knows what else the year holds. Last one for you. We only got about a few seconds for this. What's been the reaction of your coworkers? Are they teasing you about this? Are they supportive? What's what's going on in the workplace? Very mixed reactions. If I'm on site, I'm, I'm getting a little bit teased, but they're really proud of me. And if I'm in the office there, they're also very proud of me and they're <laughs> proud that I'm representing the city of Brantford. It's all in good fun for sure. Ashley, congratulations. And uh, wear that crown with pride. Will do. Thank you so much. Ashley Borzolino is a development inspector operator with the city of Brantford and Miss Canada 2023. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.